heard that means, so maybe I should move up. But uh, welcome to you all. I want to give a special welcome to our friend Myra Johnson sitting towards the front here. She came to Ladies Bible Study, and uh, she's come to church here today, so we're very grateful to have you. It's, uh, it's wonderful the Lord has brought you. Hope, we hope you feel welcomed and uh, enjoy your, your day here with the Lord's people. Yeah. Well, a special uh, joy to uh, honor the mothers today, too. Huh? We all have that in common. We're all born of a mother. None of us created ourselves, but uh, the Lord has seen fit to bring us into the world through a mother, and it's a blessing to have a godly mother. So we're thankful. We're thankful for that. Well, um, we are studying the church by way of our church order. And I know I didn't give one of these to Myra. Anybody else need a copy of the church order? I think there's one left. Sure. Well, um, why don't we pray, and then we will dive into it here. Our gracious Father in heaven, we are humbled to come before you, to look up to heaven, to know that you are the God who hears with delight the prayers of your children. Would you take away all of our sin? Give to us the blessing and power and light of your Holy Spirit. We may know our God, and that we may rejoice in your care for your church, and that we may learn more and more how to glorify you in the church of Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, if uh, hopefully you all got a sheet. If not, they're on the chairs right, right behind you all there. But um, we're, we're looking at the church order because... Uh, we have agreed with the other churches in our denomination or federation to abide by these 60-some uh, rules. Um, and that's because the Lord, God, is a God not of confusion, but a God of order. And he, uh, he blesses his church for the order that he gives to her. And so the first section of our church order deals with um, office bearers. And we uh, looked at the numerous articles about ministers. And now I'd like to look at Article 14 and 15 about um, the duties of elders and deacons. Um, the, the, the work of office bearers has a, obviously a huge bearing on the life of a church. How many um, people grew up in a church where elders, that was an important function, and, uh, and you saw elders engaged in a, in a hands-on work in the congregation? How many people uh, come from churches or ever spend time in a church where, where elders don't really function or the one who is considered the elder is the minister and there's not any body of elders that, that just uh, that function? Okay. And uh, clearly there's a difference, right? There's a lot of churches um, where there's sort of a pastor-run church, right? The minister is, is sort of it. Maybe there's a, a deacon board, they call it, or something. Um, but the Reformed churches have understood that um, elders are um, key to the life of the church. In fact, um, what had happened in the early church was that um, the, there's a word in Greek called episkopos, which is one of the words for elders. It means overseer. It's translated sometimes as bishop. And in the early centuries, they began to exalt one office bearer over the rest and designated him as bishop. In fact, he became responsible for not just a, a single congregation, but for multiple congregations. And these ministers, bishops in the bigger cities, um, became the, the head bishops, and eventually one became known as the pope. And um, so we see that. But if we go back to the Bible, 
Um, the Lord wanted elders appointed in every church. He tells Titus in Titus 1, he left him in Crete for that reason, appoint elders in each church. In the book of Acts, the apostles plant churches and they, and they appoint elders. And so that's important to the life of the church. Let's uh, look at these uh, questions. I kept it to one sheet this time in an effort to try to get through closer to the amount of material. Um, but what are, what are some of the images and names used for elders in the Bible and what do they convey? Uh, obviously, the word elder is one name, and it relates to age. Um, so elders in the Old Testament were often the older ones, and therefore with experience and wisdom, hopefully. And uh, that's clearly one word. And the other word I've already mentioned is the word overseer, episkopos, bishop. And um, so if the word elder signals sort of that, that age, and I don't think there's a requirement in the Bible that an elder has to be a certain age, but it's the idea that he's one who has experience and wisdom, then if, if that applies more looking at the man in terms of his, um, his qualification, the word bishop or overseer has more to do with his, the nature of his labor. He's called to oversee, right? To look over, to watch over, to care for. But what are some other uh, images or names in the Bible that refer to elders? Anybody think of any? Yeah, Paul. Bishops? Okay, yeah, yeah. So I was saying that the word bishop um, comes from that, it gets translated in different English translations as overseer or bishop, but it's the same Greek word, episkopos, so good, yeah. But that's, it's important to notice that those words are used interchangeably. And you can, one place is Acts 20, but you can see in different places at the same, those two words are used of the same individuals, the same office, elder and bishop or overseer. Good, other uh, titles or images? Yes? Under shepherd? Okay, good. So that's probably the most important one when we think of an elder, right? It encapsulates so much. It's so rich because um, it was used in the Old Testament. In fact, the word shepherd was, was applied most of all to the king in Israel. He was the shepherd. But obviously, God is the shepherd to his people. Uh, the rich imagery of Psalm 23, uh, fulfilled in John 10, Jesus Christ, the good shepherd who knows his sheep by name and so forth. And so when... Uh, Peter says in 1 Peter 5, shepherd, right? Uh, be shepherds. When Paul says to the Ephesian elders in Acts 20, shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood, that is a powerful and important image. Good. Any other uh, images or names come to mind for elders? There are uh, some instances when... Um, it's, it, there's not a name specifically designated, but you can, uh, by way of inference, for instance, 1 Timothy 3, verse 5 says, if a man does, this is under the uh, qualifications for elder, 1 Timothy 3, 5, if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Um, so that whole idea of um, ruling, they could be called rulers, you know, the same thing. And 1 Timothy 5.17, let all elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor. Um, governance is also spoken of in Romans 12.8 and 1 Corinthians 12.28. And that oversight or governance there may refer specifically perhaps to elders. But another one, though, is interesting is um, Titus 1.7, which, which speaks of the elders as the stewards of God. What's a steward? Steward is one to whom 
possessions are entrusted to be cared for, right? Some of you are managers, maybe, of money or of a farm. You're taking care of what belongs to someone else. And uh, elders are that. What are, what are the things that elders are entrusted with to be stewards of God? Okay, God's people, his flock, for one, yeah, good. Purity of the Word of God. Yeah, so the, the Bible is spoken of in the New Testament as um, the truth that's deposited with the church. So elders have special uh, care of, of pulpit and sacraments, right? The, the Word and the sacraments. We believe these are the primary means of grace. The preaching of the Word is primary and essential, and baptism and the Lord's Supper are appendages to that Word. They're signs and seals to validate, to assure us that the Word is true, true for us. So elders are are in charge, are are to be stewards of those things. Paul, remember, calls himself a steward of the mysteries of God. God has committed to Paul mysteries, truths, and uh, he is to steward those to God's people. Uh, Maybe we also, you could use some Old Testament ones and speak of, uh, remember the prophet spoke of himself as a watchman upon the walls. All right, but let's go on to the uh, question number two. What are the duties of an elder? If you think... um, of a shepherd, what things come to mind? What do shepherds do? Keep the sheep heading in the right direction. Keep the sheep heading in the right direction. Good. Green. Okay. Feed them. Good. Yeah. Very good. What else? Protect them from the wolves, bears. So good. All. The, Discipline, okay. Okay, stubborn sheep going off in the wrong direction. Pull them back. Very good. Marty? Educate, teach. Okay. Very good. Yeah, so shepherds do a lot of things for for sheep. And um, again, these are um, frequent images in the Bible and uh, things God speaks of about... um, protecting his people and guiding his people. Psalm 23 includes a lot of these kind of images, right? The green pastures, the restoring of the soul, the table in the midst of enemies, and all these kinds of uh, images. So that by itself, if you think of a shepherd and what he does for sheep, you begin to get at um, what, what the Word of God requires. Let's read a couple passages here. Um, Acts uh, 20, first of all. The Apostle Paul, uh, on his way to Jerusalem, sails right past Ephesus, uh, down to, I think, Miletus, and then he calls for the Ephesian elders to come to him. He doesn't have time to stop in Ephesus. He would have gotten, uh, never gotten out of there in time to make it to Jerusalem. So he um, calls for the Ephesian elders to come to him, and um, when, when they come, he exhorts them in Acts chapter 20. And he, he thinks he's never going to see them again, that he's going to be killed. And he reminds them of how he served among them. In Acts 20, verse 19, he served with all humility, with many tears and trials. Uh, verse 20, how I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house. Okay, so he's recounting his ministry. And he's declaring that, uh, he has discharged his ministry. He's been a faithful steward in all these things. He says in verse 26, I am innocent of the blood of all men 
Verse 27, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. So what a, uh, what a testimony. Paul is saying, I have discharged my ministry. I have communicated God's word to you. I have done my task. If I die, there's no blood on my hands. And then he says, Acts 20, verse 28, to these Ephesian elders, Therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves men will rise up, speaking perverse things, to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore watch. And remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone, night and day with tears. So now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance. So uh, clearly the Apostle Paul is saying, I've discharged my duty. Now you elder shepherds, you need to do your work and take particular care to watch out. The wolves are coming. Okay, and then one other passage is 1 Peter 5, another key passage in this regard. Um, Interestingly, Peter, the apostle here, says he's a fellow elder in 1 Peter 5, verse 1. 1 Peter 5, one, the elders who are among you, I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed, shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, not as being lords over those entrusted you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd, that's Jesus Christ, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. So here the calling into shepherd, and here the, the emphasis on the motive, right? Be, be a willing shepherd. Don't be forced into it. Don't be slow to act. Don't look for your own personal gain, but do it for Christ and do it out of love for his flock. Well, let's uh, look at the church order here for elders, Article 14, and um, the duties of elders there. Let me read this to you, Article 14. It says, The duties belonging to the office of elder consist of continuing in prayer and ruling the church of Christ according to the principles taught in Scripture, in order that purity of doctrine and holiness of life may be practiced, they shall see to it that their fellow elders, the ministers, and the deacons faithfully discharge their offices. They are to maintain the purity of the word and sacraments, assist in catechizing the youth, promote God-centered schooling, visit the members of the congregation according to their needs, engage in family visiting, Exercise discipline in the congregation. Actively promote the work of evangelism on missions. And ensure that in everything, ensure that everything is done decently and in good order. Well, uh, you can be assured of one thing as an elder. You're never going to finish your work, uh, given that uh, list of things to do. It's a, it's a long list. It's always, always work to do. It's like a mother's task, I guess, right? Always something to do. I, um, excuse me. I wanted to um, 
run through those uh, duties here and make use of an essay out of this book called To Serve Essays for Elders and Deacons, edited by um, URC Pastor Michael Brown, and it has uh, chapters by a lot of different uh, United Reformed Church pastors. And uh, one of those is Reverend uh, Ralph Pontier, who is now retired. But he does a, a good job of going through the duties. The first one, uh, prayer, is actually duty listed for all three office bearers, ministers, elders, and deacons, their duties begin in our church order with prayer. Obviously, apart from God's blessing, nothing we do comes to anything. And uh, it's been said that, that um, how does he put that here? Under uh, prayer, we are not just to pray about our work, but prayer is our work. And uh, that's, that's well said. So um, we need that. We need to call upon the Lord, the chief shepherd. He alone has the power and the strength and the grace needed to make any ministry of minister, elder, or deacon fruitful. And so we should never engage in labors without prayer. Um, But as you look at the list here, um, the first thing they see to it that the other office bearers fulfill their duties. So the elders are to take heed to themselves, Paul says in Acts 20. And that includes taking heed to the other office bearers. Are the offices being correctly exercised, right? Because if there's corruption or sloth in the leadership, it's going to have a dramatic effect on the life of Christ's church. And Reverend Pontier suggests that periodically the council should ask itself, maybe during sessions of mutual censure, how can we improve the way we serve? What can we, what can we do better? Sometimes office bearers are just engaged in what they're doing, trying to get it done. But it's good to have seasons where we sit back and ask, what are we lacking? What can we do better? Number two, they're to maintain the purity of the word and sacraments. So um, they're supposed to have a special watchfulness over the life and doctrine of the minister, right? That's, that's for obvious reason. If the preacher is not walking the truth or not preaching the truth, Um, There's nothing that will have a more uh, profound effect upon the life of the church. Um, He suggests sermon evaluations, which uh, I know uh, are done here. I think I've enjoyed one or two since I've gotten here, maybe more. Um, But uh, that's a good thing. Uh, Elders need to listen, of course, on family visits to the congregation, ask them if they're being fed. Are there any obstacles to hearing the preaching? Is there anything the minister does? He keeps pulling on his coat or doing some weird thing that really distracts me. I, I wish he'd knock that off. Uh, or the microphone's not loud enough. That, that's an important one. It's not really about the preaching of the Word. But, but those little things can get in the way of hearing sometimes. The bigger things are even more important, right? Is he preaching the Word? Is he preaching the Word? Is he doing it in a way that's helpful to us? Elders are to assist in catechizing the youth. Ministers are to take the lead in teaching. Catechizing is just a form of teaching, right? Question and answers. And it's proved very useful. But uh, elders are to assist in that. They are to promote, promote God-centered schooling. Um, you know, the Reformed um, have emphasized that, well, as Abraham Kuyper said, there's not one square inch of the universe over which God hasn't said, this is mine. So um, the Reformed have, have, in distinction from some who have really separated life into the spiritual realm and the secular realm, the Reformed have said, no, the whole world is God's. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And therefore, when we talk about science or history or social studies, it's all about the creation of God and the history of a world that God rules over. And therefore, everything should be looked at through the lens of Scripture. 
And, um, you know, interestingly, a lot of the United Reformed congregations and members um, had originally come out of a, a denomination um, that began in the 1850s with Dutch immigrants coming over. And when the Dutch immigrants came, they were concerned about two things. Well, really three things, I guess. One, of course, to find a job. Uh, but secondly, to, to start a church. And thirdly, to start a Christian school. And we have this long tradition of actually taking offerings in Reformed churches for Christian schools, going back to that. That when the immigrants came, they planted, sometimes they started a town, basically, and they were concerned with that church and school. And uh, so um, this idea of Christian schooling, God-centered schooling, has, has some deep roots, and I think has borne some, some uh, wonderful fruit. Um, number uh, five, they're to visit the members of the congregation according to their needs. So um, uh, the congregation um, represents Christ in their need. As you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me, Jesus said. So um, the sheep are to be cared for. Uh, number six, family visiting. Based on that, those words we read from Acts 20 that the Apostle Paul taught publicly and from house to house, that's uh, one of the verses that encourages home visits, that um, office bearers visit homes and work directly with individuals. And so um, uh, a tradition that came out of the Reformation was um, visiting the members in their home. And in, uh, I think in Holland at least, it was often connected with the Lord's Supper. There had been so much superstition about the Lord's Supper. And remember, the, the, the Mass was performed in Latin. People didn't know what was going on. It became sort of a magic pill. It wasn't about faith. It was just about putting this wafer in your mouth. And so the uh, Reformed churches worked hard to visit people and to teach them what was going to happen with the Lord's Supper. And they would do that from house to house. Um, but now we have this practice of trying to make it around to homes maybe uh, once a year. It's often a hard, um, a difficult thing for elders to keep that schedule, but a lot of churches try to do that. Our church order calls for some regular house visiting and to go and ask the people, how's it going? You come to church, you hear the word preached, but is it bearing fruit? Are you receiving it? Are you living it out? Are there any uh, problems that we should know about? Some have compared it to uh, kind of a doctor house call taking, taking the vital signs, taking the temperature. How's it going? And, uh, of course, shepherd care does require not just a, a general care, but also a, a specific care. And then uh, discipline. Um, Reverend Pontier writes, The faithful exercise of discipline is one of the marks of the true church. Without it, it is impossible to maintain the purity of the sacraments. And without it, the ministry of the word is severely compromised because it is not enforced. Um, to let a sheep wander off to its own death... It's not loving, right? Uh, Jesus instead pictures the, the shepherd of leaving the 99 and going in search of the one to bring them back, lest they die of starvation or stuck in a ditch or uh, killed by savage beasts. So uh, that's what discipline is, trying to restore the sinner. Um, they actively promote the work of evangelism and missions. So, um, you know, that's, uh, I think we'll be thankful in our churches that uh, with the beginning of the United Reformed Churches, there's been sort of, I think, a resurgence in many of our hearts and lives um, with an emphasis on, on missions and looking outward. And that's a good thing. And our churches, I think, have, have been uh, promoting that. The uh, missions coordinator, we have one full-time uh, position in the United Reformed Churches, and uh, that's our missions coordinator. And he, uh, he was visiting the church plants on the West Coast, and he stopped by this week, and I had coffee with him. 
as he made his way from Medford up to, uh, to Grace and, and the Gig Harbor church plants. And uh, so it was good to hear from him. He, you know, he, has, he, has, he gets the benefit of being in contact with all these church plants. Uh, actually, also, at this point, he's doing the domestic field and the foreign field. Maybe sometime we'll divide that up. But he, uh, he certainly has an eye for, for all of this across the whole of North America. And it's interesting to hear about the struggles and the blessings of um, different church plants. He uh, wants to encourage more cooperation and uh, encouraging ministers to be more closely connected to each other and churches as well. Uh, Reverend Richard Bout. Yeah, he actually had been on the mission field in Mexico and then uh, a few years back was made the missions coordinator. And then finally, elders are going to make sure everything's done decently and in good order. So uh, they don't need to micromanage things, but they should try to keep a good order and uh, for, for the love of God's people and for efficiency and effectiveness. So any uh, questions on any of those uh, things listed in our church order for elders to do? That's a quick run through. Well, that's great. Yeah, thanks for the, the testimony. Jim says uh, he came from a church where they didn't have home visits, but his first one here was a great blessing. So, uh, yeah, press on in that, in that great work. Yeah, that, you know, it, it is, isn't it? Because uh, when the office bearers come in the name of Christ to us, I mean, it's, uh, it's one thing to hear the word proclaimed to all of Christ's people on Sunday, but to have the word spoken to, to me, right? That's a, that can be a, a very refreshing thing. And also, obviously, you can talk about more specifics. Any other uh, comments, questions, uh, things that we're grateful for, or things that we wonder why we do it, or things that we might do that aren't listed here? Well, we can be thankful for men that are willing to serve, that's for sure. I have noticed a... um, I think something of a trend that, um, well, maybe it's always been that way, but it it seemed to me more um, present these days is that there's a lot of men who who feel they can't serve or are unwilling to serve. And uh, the reasons are various, but um, I I think it's a recognition that it's a lot of work. It's a lot of sacrifice. You'll probably give up some hobbies if you serve as an elder. Um, who has that kind of time. Also, you know, for wives, um, it's a sacrifice as well, and often for children, too, for their father not just to go to meetings, but for their father to say, my meeting's actually not the main part of my work. I have all these other things I'm, I'm supposed to do. So uh, we can be very grateful whenever the Lord provides men who are, who are willing to serve in that way, to sacrifice themselves. No comments, no questions, nothing on that. We'll move on then to um, the question, how does the work of elders bring glory to Christ? Maybe we covered some of that already. Um, Anything come to mind in particular that um, the way the office of elder magnifies Jesus Christ? Churches these days think 
Okay. Yeah. They guard that truth. That truth is essential, isn't it? And I think you're right. When the, when the Protestant Reformation occurred in the 1500s, there was a, a recognition that um, local elders need to be um, guardians of that, of that word. Well, the elders represent the care of Christ, so everything they do uh, biblically is a reflection of Jesus, right? It's a reflection of his love for the flock. It's a reflection of his self-giving to the flock. It's a reflection of, of his uh, gracious and faithful rule. So in all these ways, they, they are to mirror and therefore magnify Christ Jesus. And, um, yeah. Let's go on to deacons here. Um, deacons... You know, it's an interesting office. I remember early on in the ministry, we are going to have office bearer uh, training with the area United Reformed Churches in Illinois, Indiana. And I got assigned, um, uh, you know, a, a talk for the deacons. So I went to the Word to go gather up all the Bible says about the duties of a deacon. And I was actually shocked. There's not much in there. Um, we read about deacons, but unlike the elders, where you have all of these rich metaphors of shepherd and so forth, specifically about elders... When you go to look for deacons, it's rather scant. Now, you have Acts chapter 6 when the apostles said, you know, we, we need to give ourselves to ministry of word and prayer, so you choose out from among you seven men. But it never calls those men deacons. They do more than we think of as deacons today, right? Stephen did preaching and stuff. Um, they might have been precursors to deacons, or um, remember they were set aside to wait on tables, whatever that meant. It may have meant um, that they had some large meals in connection with Lord's Supper, um, and maybe the food there they distributed or afterwards gave it to the poor um, and so forth. Um, but the deacons, if that's the precursor to deacons, they sort of appear as assistants to the apostles. And um, so when we look at the office of deacon, we have to, um, well, for one thing, it's important, I think, always to remember that all the offices are found in Christ. He holds all offices. And then the apostles themselves at one point sort of did everything. And then there starts to become a division of labor. Uh, after the apostles die off, right? You have the, or even while they're here, they're appointing elders and deacons. We know the office of deacon is a real office. There's a, a whole list of qualifications for deacon, and we read about the deacons in the Bible. I'm just saying that there's not, many, there's not much by way of New Testament text to tell you specifically what they do. And so you have to look more broadly, and I think Acts 6 is one place that we use and say, look, at they, they dealt with uh, physical needs. They distributed uh, the bread. They waited on tables. Um, in, in the Middle Ages, interestingly, because of that waiting on tables thing in Acts 6, and maybe even before the Middle Ages, some people thought deacons were to help the bishop serve the Lord's Supper. And so you'd have, you know, the bishop, and then you'd have deacons who are in charge of distributing the elements. Um, we obviously don't think that's the case. I, I think also um, from Acts 6, looking at that it's a care for physical needs, um, we could look at the many texts that deal with ministry of mercy in Old and New Testament and see that as the role of deacons. But uh, I guess I'm just saying I don't think the Bible defines every detail of the deacon's office, and we have to uh, sort of work that out in terms of all the duties, that all the things God has called his office bearers to do, and then what can the deacons maybe do in order that the elders can focus on uh, word and prayer aspects maybe. So... Um, Let's uh, look at these duties of deacon here. I'm going to read the Article 15 now. The duties of deacon, Article 15, the duties belong to the office of deacon consist of, continuing in prayer again, 
Um, and that's a reminder of the deacon's office. We have this bad habit sometimes of thinking the deacons do, you know, elders do spiritual work and the deacons do physical, material work. Well, no. Uh, they may, they're involved more in material needs, but it's a spiritual work, and they need to pray. So um, that, first of all, and supervising the works of Christian mercy among the congregation, acquainting themselves with congregational needs, exhorting members of the congregation to show mercy, gathering and managing the offerings of God's people in Christ's name, and distributing these offerings according to need, and encouraging and comforting with the word of God those who receive the gifts of Christ's mercy. Needs of those outside the congregation, especially of other believers, should also be considered as resources permit. The deacons shall orderly meet every month to transact the business pertaining to their office, and they shall render an account of their work to the consistory, the elders. Well, let me um, run through uh, what Reverend Pontier writes for deacons here, if I can find it now. Um, and if you have any questions or you want to stop at any point, raise your hand, all right, or just yell out, and we can uh, buckle down there for a minute. Um, first of all, uh, uh, he, has, he notes five specific tasks here um, after this whole thing of supervising the works of Christian mercy. Number one, acquainting themselves with congregational needs. He writes, the deacons cannot lead in serving the needs of the congregation if they don't know what those needs are. Some have suggested that just as the elders make regular home visits, so should the deacons, both to identify needs as well as to promote stewardship and generosity. So that's one idea. But elder, uh, deacons, by some means, need to know what the needs are. Oftentimes, congregational members will alert them. That's a great blessing and a help, right? They say, hey, did you know so-and-so has this going on? And uh, that's a good thing, I think. Because, uh, again, the work of office bearers is not something that stands apart from the congregation. They're just themselves, first of all, members of the church and then appointed to an office, but to serve the body, and they, need the, they serve the body and they need the help of the, of the members. So um, the deacons are called to have an eye for that, right? To be men who have hearts uh, shaped by the mercy of Christ. And again, in some ways here, the, the shepherd uh, imagery is, is fully appropriate, right? The shepherd is alert to the needs of his sheep, to their wounds, and to their hunger, and so forth. And uh, deacons are likewise to care for the flock. Um, number two, exhort the members of the congregation to show mercy. It's, we're, we're made mindful again that, um, as we said at the beginning, the most important office is not minister, elder, or deacon, but the office of believer, we are all prophets, priests, and kings through the anointing of Christ's Spirit. And um, so the, 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 the hope is not that minister, elder, and deacon will do everything for the church, but it's that they'll equip the church to do the work Christ has given her to do. So um, it's the congregation that needs to be encouraged in showing mercy. Um, he writes, sometimes ministers are asked to preach sermons on giving, and that can be uh, good. But deacons also should use the scriptures and others like them. He had listed some scriptures here I skipped over. Deacons should use these texts in their personal contact with members of the church. They can also communicate with the congregation concerning ministry needs through bulletin announcements, flyers, and newsletters. So um, the deacons have a right to, uh, and a calling to say to the congregation, the Lord has blessed us richly. Let us be generous. They can look for needs to meet and match those needs with 
with gifts and resources. Um, you know, this is, uh, in our materialistic America, we, we need these constant reminders, don't we? Uh, because on the one hand, we, you know, it takes a lot of money to live in this country, and it's tempting just to pile and try to pile it up and safeguard our lives. But uh, we need to be givers, generous givers. This, these are the days God has given us to share upon the earth. So our deacons can be very helpful in exhorting us in that. Uh, number three, they're to gather and manage the offerings of God's people in Christ's name and distribute these offerings according to need. Um, he notes that Moses three times instructed the Israelites that none were to appear before God empty-handed. Exodus 23, 15, and some other texts. So the idea is when you appear before the Lord, you bring. And um, Paul told the uh, Corinthian congregation on the first day of the week, store up, bring. He didn't want offerings to be taken when he got there. I think it was for the Jerusalem church and their need. But he wanted them to give and have a, have a good offering to give him to bring back, I believe, to Jerusalem. Um, so he... Uh, he suggests that bringing our gifts to God is an act of worship. There's nothing routine or mundane about taking up the offerings. But uh, deacons represent Christ to whom the gifts are being given. And then to distribute them. It is a high and holy calling to be exercised with godly fear, seeking wisdom through prayer so that the deacons can faithfully reflect the love and compassion of Christ to those whose needs are genuine. And so uh, deacons need, don't they, the wisdom of Solomon to know how to give, how much to give. Um, there are, um, especially from outside the church, a lot of people that ask for gifts, and it's difficult to discern if it's a real need or what the, the situation is. But even to God's people themselves, um, maybe at times it might be difficult to know uh, how far to go in helping. Um, sometimes there's a book uh, called When Helping Hurts, and uh, many have, have written in these past uh, years about uh, when the church in America just dumps money on a, on a poor church in another land, just dumping money itself sometimes has a reverse effect. It causes the people in that church not to give or makes them feel or makes them dependent in a wrong way. Or, and so um, we need wisdom in how we give. That should never be an excuse, of course, not to give. Um, but deacons need to know how best to help others. Uh, there's times when writing a check might be the best thing, and there's times when helping a uh, a healthy man find a job might be the best thing. There's times when um, instead of giving money to get a taxi or bus, matching up congregational members with somebody who has a doctor appointment and needs a ride, that's the best thing, facilitating that. So um, the wisdom of Christ needed. Number four, encourage and comfort with the word of God those who receive the gifts of Christ's mercy. Any idea why, why that's in there? Why is that important? when they give the gifts to encourage with the word. Marty? Okay. Okay, good. Yeah, there's always... There's always the need of the soul being comforted, right? Yeah. And there's also, I think, a need to encourage those who receive gifts not to be, um, not to be downcast because they're needy, right? 
to, it's nice to encourage people to receive the gifts and to know this is a reflection of, of God's love for you and the love of God's people. You shouldn't feel bad in receiving this gift. You should be encouraged. You know, so to give the word with the gift is important. Um, Reverend Pontier says that the ministry of mercy must never be separated from the ministry of the word. It's not required that deacons be preachers, but neither should they be tongue-tied in expressing the promises of God to those who are discouraged because of hardship or need. A short text selected in advance and perhaps copied by hand onto a note card to be left with the person visited will greatly encourage those who are hungry for hope. So uh, we've all had that, right? It's nice to receive a gift, but it's, uh, you know, a meal or something, but it's even uh, nicer when it comes with a, a word of good cheer, right? And uh, deacons can do that, and the deacons can also encourage all of us to do that. Can, you know, the deacons can, can remind us and teach us how to give in a way that's helpful to people, too, that we have the right attitude, that we help people receive it in the right way, those kinds of things. Well, finally, needs of those outside the congregation can be considered as the resources permit, especially needs of believers. Uh, it's based on Galatians 6, verse 10, which says, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So our, uh, our first concern is with our closest neighbors, those our brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. But then certainly we want to look beyond that. Um, you know, there often um, are opportunities for, for evangelism through uh, ministries of mercy. I don't know if in United Reformed Churches we've, um, that we've taken full advantage of that, to be honest. And um, I, I really don't know even, to be honest, how we could do it fully unless we appoint more men to the work or even uh, women, not as deacons, but that we have a group concerned. In other words, caring for the needs in a community, caring for the needs is so, is so, is so time-consuming. As an example, even if somebody comes here during the week and I call the deacons, you know, most of the guys are at work, for starters, right? So, so I'm here, but I don't, you know, I'm not the one in charge of giving, so now I have to contact a deacon. The deacon has to find time to contact the person. Then if it's, uh, they're going to try to figure out it's a legitimate need, then probably two deacons need to try to meet with that person. And, and this turns into, this is just for one need, can turn into uh, a great bit of work. Um, you know, there, there are real needs in the community. And, um, you know, in terms of missions, we often send benevolent aid with, with missionaries, right, in different ways. If you look at the history of missions, um, often ministers have taken some medical training so they could administer some basic medicines to save lives, in the mission field, especially years ago. Now maybe doctors can go with them and stuff. Um, but ministering to physical needs can be a real opening to, uh, to caring for people, for their souls. And, uh, you know, we do face some complications, don't we? In fact, um, I guess I took it off here, but I was going to put a question about, de- about that. What are some of the difficulties deacons face? Well, one of them, is, of course, is the situation with government aid. Um, it's... There's a lot of people who don't need the church now. It used to be, right? The government didn't provide for the people, and if there were needs, they would come to the church. Now we have the government aid, which is sort of throwing us off on that. Um, but there are still opportunities to, to, to serve and, and to meet those needs. And I, uh, I guess I just, I see some other churches who have a very robust 
uh, focus on, on outward needs. And I wonder sometimes if in United Reformed Churches, if we could do more, and then it strikes me that the way we have with just our small body of deacons is probably not sufficient to do that. Maybe we need to develop some other strategies or appoint some other people to assist in that regard. Any ideas on that? Yeah. Okay. Not only that, I know of a church that began to partner with a government agency to provide food, and the government agency said, you can't talk about God if you're using us okay. to help get that food. And I was appalled that they continued to do that. I said, sever the tie. If you can't give as much as you did, then stop, because that's a very important piece. And if you give into that, what, what good is it doing? So it's, it's no, that's interesting. Go lose the focus of the church. The church's mission is to proclaim the word, right, and, and the gospel. So, yeah, Jim's bringing up this conflict or this uh, difficulty we have. How do we keep the word and the aid tied together? To give aid is clearly biblical, right? Don't just say, go warm, be warm and well-fed and do nothing, especially brothers and sisters. But on the other hand, um, sometimes churches fall into just giving physical aid without the gospel, right? Yeah, I think that's an ongoing struggle, right, how to keep them tied, It is. Yeah, very good. Comment in the back. <laughs> Let's hear it. to come to the service. It also probably tests how severe the need is, right? If they, don't, if they don't have any time to come to the service, maybe the need is not as severe as they let on. Yeah. Yeah. So that's good. Hope Pregnancy Clinic, so they've come up with a, a way to guarantee or to have a model that people come in to present them with the gospel. 
And, you know, that's good. There's a lot of organizations that I think are trying to, to bridge the gap or hold these two together, and it's good to look at those and ask how they do it or as a church to see if we can partner more and more with some of those groups. Well, our time is uh, moving on here, so we'll, we'll, we'll call it a stop here. But that last question, how can we encourage our elders and deacons in our labors? Maybe we could talk about it next time a little bit, but um, we want to do that. We want to encourage the men in their work. We want to, of course, be in prayer for them, but to also cheer them on in uh, faithfulness. Let's, uh, let's close in prayer here. Our Father in heaven, we are grateful for this beautiful Lord's Day, for the opportunity to worship you. We are thankful, God, that you've appointed elders and deacons and that you supply your churches with men. We pray for those congregations struggling to find men, for the new church plants who are praying that you would raise up office bearers for them. We pray, Lord, for our own men, that you would give them much grace, encouragement, and strength in their work and help their wives as they stand beside them. Make their ministries fruitful. Help us to receive and to encourage those works. May we together as a church be made more effective and useful to you on the earth. We thank you that in all of this we may see the ministry of our Lord Jesus, our chief shepherd. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.